0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Thank you, and welcome to the show Where, once again, I'm being directed to sit down and be quiet well, okay, we've really got two long shows, and not enough time for me to yak. So let's enjoy the Lone Ranger and the episode "Burly Scott's Sacrifice." <laughs>
2: Let's go, big fella. I'm still there! Oy! Burley Scott rode the trail toward Pecos with his companion, Luke Baker. Burley, recently released from prison, was tough and hard. As they rode, he spoke grimly. Should have heard the warden giving out with a lot of gab about getting a fresh start, Luke thinks I'm going to forget those three years at hard labor and go straight. That's a laugh. Got any plans, Burley? Yeah. Yeah, I got plans. Maybe you could get another gang together and we can find... That'll come later, Luke. What do you figure not doing in the meantime? Something I've thought about for some time. Let me show you something. Ho, ho, ho. Hold on. Here. Look at this. (laughs) Well, what do you know? (laughs) Nobody would suspect you'd be wearing a fancy gold locket on a gold chain under your shirt. Listen, Luke, if you want to make jokes, I'll Uh, blow your... Now, take it easy, Burley. It's no use getting riled at me for nothing. I'm surprised to see you have something like that, that's all. I don't like to be laughed at, you savvy. Sure, sure. Uh, What about the locket? I'll open it. Look. Hey. It's sure a mighty pretty little girl. Pretty woman, too. Who are they? My wife and kid. The young one was two years old then. That was ten years ago. Oh. Where are they now, you know? My wife left me when she found out I was an outlaw. Took the girl, little Sally, with her. I never saw them again. It was tough. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh. Uh, Why did you show me that, Burley. What's it got to do with your not stopping another gang right now? Plenty. After she divorced me, my wife married someone else. An hombre named Fairfield who owns a ranch near Pecos. Huh. You don't figure on stopping in to see him after all these years, do you? Listen, Luke. An old pal of mine was brought to the prison a couple of months ago. He told me my former wife was dead. Died last year. He also told me Jack Fairfield was worth plenty. The ranch he owns, the Bar F, is mighty prosperous. What's that to you? My pal found out that Fairfield thinks the world is Sally. She's 12 years old now. I figure she thinks he's a real father. That's all good for the youngsters, I see. Maybe it is. But I aim to make Jack Fairfield pay plenty for me to keep my mouth shut. And what if he doesn't? I'll tell Sally the truth. And if that doesn't work... I'll find some other way to make him pay off. Oh, come on. Burley, give up this local idea. We get to Pecos, I can get some hombres together and we can form a My mind's made up, Luke. No use trying to talk me out of it. Now, let's get a move on. Get up there. Come on. A few miles from Pecos, the lone ranger and his Indian companion, Tonto, rode leisurely along the trail that bordered the Bar F Ranch. Look, Kimasabi. Little squaw and pony waiting near entrance to ranch. She's already seen us, Tonto. I hope my mask doesn't frighten her. Hello, mister. Hello, little girl. Oh, who's oh, who's the oh. Oh.
3: My name's Sally, and I live here. Um, are you an outlaw?
2: No, Sally. We're not outlaws. You needn't be frightened.
3: Oh, I'm not frightened. Why do you wear that mask, Mister?
2: I have my reasons, Sally. Maybe if we meet again sometime, I'll tell you.
3: Good. Um, aren't you afraid of that Indian?
2: Toto <laughs> is my friend. A very close and loyal friend. Isn't <laughs> that right, Sally? Him not need be afraid of me.
3: You must be a good Indian. Daddy Jack says there are good Indians and bad ones, just like there are good white men and bad ones.
2: That's right. Who's Daddy Jack?
3: Daddy Jack Fairfield. He's my adopted father, and he owns the Bar F Ranch.
2: I've heard of him. That's a fine pony you have, Sally.
3: Daddy Jack gave him to me for my birthday. He gives me lots of nice presents. Today's my birthday. I'm 12 years old.
2: Well, happy birthday. Mm, Did he give you that nice gold locket and chain, too?
3: Oh no. Mama gave me that before she died. She told me my real daddy has one just like it. See? It opens. There's a picture of mommy and me when I was two years old.
2: Well, your mother was very pretty. You look very much like her.
3: You think I'm pretty?
2: Of course. Ah, uh, you very pretty, little
3: girl. Golly, thanks. I I think you're both handsome <laughs>
2: Uh, Kim and Sally, her get along all right when they grow up, huh? <laughs> Yes, Tonto. We might ride this way in about six years and see if Sally still thinks we're so handsome. You're joking
3: with me. But I hope I'll see you again soon. And then you'll tell me about the mask.
2: I'm sure we'll see you again, Sally.
3: Well, I have to go now. I'm having a birthday party this afternoon. Goodbye, mister. Goodbye, Tonto. Goodbye, Goodbye Sally. Sally. Get up, Buddy. Get up.
2: Oh, her nice little girl. Yes, she is, and well mannered. It's evident she's been brought up in the atmosphere of affection and security every child needs. Come on, Silver. Come up, come. <laughs> The following morning, Burley Scott, leaving Luke in town with his friends, rode to the Bar F. ranch to talk to Jack Fairfield. Oh, oh there. Oh. As he drew rein before the large, comfortable-looking ranch house, he was filled with bitterness and determination. Steady. Burley stood waiting a moment. Then the door was opened by a kind-faced, motherly-looking woman.
4: Good morning, sir.
2: Morning. I came to talk to Jack Fairfield. It's
4: important. Oh, I'm sorry. But Mr. Fairfield left on the early stage for Stockton on business. I'm Mrs. Adkins, the housekeeper. Can I help you?
2: No. When will Fairfield be back?
4: He'll return on the noon stage tomorrow.
2: Are, uh, Are you married to Mr. Fairfield? I know his wife died last year, but maybe he... For sakes,
4: no. As I told you, my name is Atkins, and I'm just the housekeeper. You know, between you and me, I think Jack Fairfield was too much in love with his wife ever to marry again. Oh. I'm mighty lucky in a way. Being a widow, I jumped at the chance to come here and sort of look after things for Mr. Fairfield, the poor man. Ah, quite a blow to him, losing that sweet wife of his, and them having little Sally to raise. Sally? Oh, yeah. She's his I, little uh, girl, you know. Mm-hmm. Pretty as a picture and sweet as can be. He's like putty in her hands. <laughs> but but so are all the others around here. The
2: girls. She uh, she likes her uh, father a lot, hmm? Oh,
4: just crazy about him. And no wonder. She's the apple of his eye, and he's always doing things for her and buying her presents. And... Um, If you want to leave your name, I'll tell him you were here.
2: Never mind. I'll come back tomorrow afternoon. Mm. Goodbye, ma'am.
4: Goodbye, sir.
2: As Burley walked toward his horse, Sally ran around the house. Hello, mister. Hello. Who are you?
3: I live here. I'm Sally Fairfield.
2: Oh, so you're... You're Sally, hmm? You look just like your mom...
3: Oh, you knew Mama?
2: Yeah, I, I... met her once.
3: Why are you scowling like that? Are you mad at somebody? No,
2: I, I ain't mad.
3: Daddy Jack says being mad never helps anybody.
2: Daddy Jack?
3: Uh-huh. That's my adopted father. That's why I call him Daddy Jack. Mama told me my real father was the only one I should call Daddy. She,
2: she told you that? Uh-huh. What else did she tell you? About your real father, I mean.
3: Well, she said he went to the war and died a hero when I was two years old. Of course, I don't remember him, but I know he was brave and handsome and would have been good to me, just like Daddy Jack is.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I reckon he would have been at that. You, uh, you must think a lot of Mr. Fairfield.
3: Uh Uh-huh. Are you a friend of Daddy Jack's?
2: Well, not exactly. I I came to see about a job, you might say.
3: I'd be like if you came to work for Daddy Jack.
2: Oh, you would?
3: Uh-huh. I like you. Now that you're not scowling, you look real kind and sort of sad. What's your name, mister?
2: Well, uh, tell me first. What what was your real father's name? Do you know?
3: I just know him as Daddy. Mama never told me his other name.
2: Oh, well, my name's just call me Scotty.
3: All right, Mr. Scotty. Maybe if you come to see Daddy Jack when he gets home, I'll see you again. You'll like him a lot.
2: Yeah, sure. Hell, I got to go on to town now, Sally.
3: Steady. You will come back.
2: <clears throat> Maybe. Be, be a good girl, Sally. Goodbye.
3: Goodbye. Get up. <laughs>
2: That morning at the Pecos Cafe, Burley's friend Luke sat talking to two cronies. I met Burley Scott at the prison and rode here with him, hoping he'd get together with us as a gang right away. But he has a deal he wants to pull first. I told him to forget it, but he's a stubborn hombre. Listen, Luke, the job I got lined up won't wait. Mm, What is it, Whiskers? I got talking to some cowpokes in here last night. (laughs) They were drinking quite a bit and got to yapping about their boss closing a deal in Stockton today for $20,000 in cash. He's bringing that cash back with him on the stage tomorrow. That's right, Luke. I heard it, too. He took his foreman with him. Joe and I figure we could hold up the stage tomorrow and grab that dough. But we ought to have two more gun hands. We're willing to divide equal. Uh. Maybe when Burley gets back, I can talk him into going with us. He ought to know before tomorrow how his deal with Fairfield at the it, bar F. ranch will turn out. Did you say he went to make a deal with Fairfield? Yeah. Huh. That's the name of the rancher who's bringing the cash on the stage tomorrow. What? He left for Stockton this morning. That's right. Oh. And Burley won't get to see him like he planned. Now listen. Don't mention Fairfield's name to Burley. He doesn't know him by sight. Uh, why? What's the difference if we mention it? Burley might figure it'd spoil his private deal with Fairfield later. When Burley gets back to town, I'll talk him into going with us tomorrow. And we'll hold up the stage and grab that twenty thousand. Whiskers and Joe planned the stage robbery, Burley Scott rode back to town from his visit to the Bar F. ranch. He had been greatly moved by his meeting with his daughter, Sally, and her words had taken the bitterness from his heart. Oh, oh, there. When he finally reached town and met Luke and his two friends in the cafe, Burley had come to a decision. Well, here's Burley now. Sit down, Burley. Sure. Meet my friends, Whiskers and Joe. Ellis, this is Burley. Howdy, oh, yeah. right, Burley. How'd you make out, Luke? I'm taking your advice. I'm forgetting the whole thing. Good, glad to hear it. Burley, we got a job lined up for tomorrow, and we're counting you in. Suits me, whatever it is. And we'll leave here and head into New Mexico territory. Now tell me what it is you have in mind. <laughs> following morning, Tato went into Pecos for supplies. When he returned later, he brought news of interest. I've waiting for you, Tonto. We'll break camp this morning break and... R- sabi. Me see two men. We get hand-billed about in El Paso. One feller tall, wear whiskers. Other stocky. You saw them in town? Ah, them riding from town, heading for trail to Stockton with two other fellows. Uh, we'll pick up their trail and follow them. Here, Silver. Huh? Burley and his three companions rode out the Stockton Trail to meet the stage on which Jack Fairfield was returning with his foreman Burley was saying Hope you hombres are right about the rancher bringing 20,000 in cash Well, we heard the cowpoke saying so in the cafe, didn't we, Joe? Yep We'll split the cash four ways, Burley and if you want, we'll head for New Mexico Territory. Where are we going to wait for the stage? Do you have any particular place in mind? There's some big boulders about two miles from town. We'll wait behind them. We figure the rancher and his foreman will be riding in the coach. The driver and guard will be on a seat. That'll make it four against four. Unless there's more passengers, which isn't likely on that short run. Well, Luke, uh, you cover the driver and guard. All right. We'll take care of the passengers, including the rancher with the cash. We're well, the boulders just ahead. Good. We shouldn't have long to wait. It's almost noon now. Come on, get him. Get him, get hit him. Hit, him. Hit, him. hit him. A short distance away, the stagecoach yeah. creaked and bumped along the trail toward Pecos. Jack Fairfield and his foreman Tex sat in the coach. Tex was saying, I'm sure glad I don't have to ride in one of these contraptions off of Mr. Fairfield. It sure is tough riding. <laughs> A little bouncing around will do you good, Tex. You'll appreciate that roan I gave you a lot more. I sure will. don't see why we didn't ride horseback in the first place. You forget the pony cart that's lashed on top of this stage, Tex. I promised Sally I'd get her one, and I didn't want to wait for it to be shipped. Decided to take the stage and bring it back with me. Oh, yeah, I did forget. Man, a lot. She go loco when she sees that. You sure are good to her, boss. You and the hands spoil her far more than I do. But she's worth it. Yep, she sure is. We'll soon be coming to our... Holy mackerel, look, outlaw! Oh, out. right, Jiminy, I'll, I'll get a Tex. We're like sitting ducks inside this old rattle trap. Anyhow, we have nothing to lose, and the stage isn't carrying valuables. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Four of them, boss. Now, Luke, you cover that driver and guard. Right, I got him covered. Two of you, huh? Keep your guns holstered and get out. Come on, Tex stand together with your hands up. We got you covered. We're reaching high, mister. Get their wallets, Whiskers. Right. Yeah, I got them. Open them, Whiskers. Right. Hey, only a few paper dollars in each of them. What? I thought you said one of them had 20,000 in cash. Yeah, he's tricking us. Search them, Burley. Yeah, keep them covered. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing in their pockets in the way of cash. Which one of you is Jack Fairfield? I am, Jack. Jack Fairfield. That's right. And the 20,000 you're after was deposited in the Stockton Bank. I'm not fool enough to carry it with me. You're lying. You hid it someplace when you saw us coming. Now, where is it? I already told you. I thunder, I say you lie. If I wasn't covered, you wouldn't dare say that, mister. Tell me where it really is or I'll drill you. It's in the bank. Oh, you sneaking pole cat. I'll... Hold it, loose! Go. <laughs> oh. Why did Burley jump in front of Fairfield and take your bullet, Luke? Uh, the fool. I'll get Fairfield anyway. Drop that gun! Hey. Oh, my leg! Look! Uh, I'm being an Indian. No! Uh, oh, Viscuits, hurry up! Shoot, shoot! Yeah, I'll get that mask on, brave Hold it! Easy, easy fellow. Oh. Mister, if you two came to rob oh, us... We're not outlaws. Well, in spite of that mask, we have to thank you for what you did. I don't know who you are, but I you sure do. came... By golly, I saw him in action before. He's the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger? I've heard of you and your friend. We're grateful, mister. By thunder, all four of the outlaws are wounded. In fact, this one here looks like he's dead. He's the one who saved my life. Saved your life? Yes. He jumped in front of me and took the bullet when the one over there fired at me. Uh, This is my foreman, Tex. Howdy. I'm Jack Fairfield. Oh, yes. Tex, if you'll cover those outlaws, Tonto will bandage their wounds... While I look after the one who saved Mr. Fairfield. Right, I'll get the guns and watch him. Mm -hmm. This man is alive but unconscious. But I'm sure he'll be all right. I'll loosen his collar. What's that around his neck? Gold chain and locket. Oh, wait. I've seen this before. A little girl. Your adopted daughter, Sally, wore it. (sighs) Yes. If anything's happened to... Hold on. That's not the one Sally wears. Hers is brightly shined. His is dull looking. Look here. The same pictures inside. A real father was an outlaw, went to prison. He had a similar locket. Well, this man must be Sally's father, Bertie Scott. Has he ever met you? Never. But he did save my life. I'll have him taken to my ranch at once and get a doctor. Good. We'll tie up the other three and ask the driver and guard to take them onto the sheriff's office. After they leave Scott at your place. <laughs> Later, in a bedroom at the Bar F. ranch, Burley opened his eyes slowly and looked up to see Jack Fairfield with a masked man, and Indian, bending over him. Where... where am I? How did I get... I'm Jack Fairfield, remember? You saved my life, Burley. You... you know who I am? Yes. And Sally? Sally doesn't know, Burley. Oh, she... she must never know. She talked to me yesterday said her father was brave, died a hero. That that mask, who's... He's a trusted friend, Burley. I don't know why you did what you did, but I sure am grateful. Hesitatingly, Burley told of his visit to the ranch and of his talk with Sally. He said he had decided Sally was better off as she was and had intended to leave the territory. Then he said, I, I suppose now when I get better, I I'll go back to prison. Burley, I'm going to try to have you put on probation in my charge. Uh, Then if you want to, you'll come to work for me. You'll be right here with Sally from now on. Boy, I... I don't know what to say. I, (laughs) I... I reckon that it helped me go straight, seeing her so happy. Wait a minute. Sally, honey, come in a minute.
3: Daddy Jack. I knew the masked man and Indian were here. Scotty, you're hurt. Oh, Scotty.
2: Your friend Scotty is going to be well soon, Sally. Then he's going to work here. Would you like that?
3: Oh, yes. I like Scotty a lot. I'll be your nurse, too.
2: Oh, I... I like that, Sally.
3: Poor Scotty. There.
2: Gosh, I... That's the best thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) I must be getting a cold.
3: See? Now you don't look sad. You're smiling, Scotty. I asked Mrs. Atkins who was in here, and she said a man who saved Daddy Jack's life. And then I saw it was you. You're brave. Just
2: like my real father was. Sally, honey, it, it was worth taking a bullet to, to hear you say that. Come, Sally. Scotty needs rest now. And after that, I suppose you and Mrs. Atkins will smother him with attention. Oh, well, Mr., Mr. Fairfield, if, if Sally could sit here a while and maybe hold my hand.
3: May I, Daddy Jeff? May I?
2: Of course, honey. That's just what your daddy wants you to do. We'll be back later. Adios, Scotty. And good luck always. Goodbye, Sally.
3: No, wait. You made a promise. You said you'd tell me why you wore that mask the next time we met. Remember?
2: Yes, I remember. Perhaps Mr. Fairfield will tell you for me after we leave. I'll be glad to. Goodbye, sir. Adios. Come on, Tonto.
3: Goodbye. Come back soon. Now, Daddy Jack, tell me.
2: Sally... He wears that mask because he helps keep law and order in the West and tries to set things right for other people. He does those things because he loves his fellow men and he loves his country. It's his wish that nobody know who he really is. But folks out this way, liking and respecting him for his courage and kindness, call him the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger of The Lone Ranger, Incorporated, created by George W. Trendle, produced by Trendle Campbell-Muir, Incorporated, and directed by Charles D. Livingston. Tonight's drama was written by Dan Beatty.
1: Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theatre of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Lights out, everybody.
5: For ironized yeast tonight a story of that still small voice which civilized men call conscience. And now fights out everybody.
0: Keep moving along,
2: ladies and gentlemen. Keep moving. There ain't no light from here. Keep moving. Hey, officer, what's going on in the hall? What's the blooming attraction? Read the signs, my man. Read the signs. Eh? Huh? Oh. The great Peter Stransky, world-famous explorer appearing in person in lecture on Ed hunters of the Amazon. Go, oh, Brown.
0: Now, uh, move along, fella. Move along, oh, you know,
2: officer. Will you tell a bloke what that headhunter is referring to? Who's on name? Now, look here, you're obstructing traffic. It's lecturing the man is lecturing on these Eden tribes that aren't their neighbor's heads. Now, move along, man. Move along or I'll take you in. Hello.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, now you know the story of these strange motion pictures I have shown you this evening. For the first time in history, motion pictures taken of the lower Brazilian region. Someday soon I hope to return to Brazil and bring back more cinematic records of the customs of these almost legendary savages, including actual specimens of heads and bodies taken and preserved in their bloodthirsty wars. When that day comes, I hope you will be as kind to me as you have been this evening. And so, good night until we meet again. Excellent lecture, Strensky. excellent. Yes, it went very well indeed. Complete sellout. That headhunting theme meant excellent publicity in all the papers, you know. Yes, yes, of course. Now, if you'll pardon me, my wife... Oh, but my dear Strensky, autograph. They paid to listen to my lecturing and see my motion pictures, not to get my autograph. I'm sorry, my wife, she will be waiting, oh, and I... Oh, come, come, don't worry about her. She'll, she's well taken care of. Eh? What are you talking about? I just passed her backstage, and she had a handsome young gentleman having quite a tete a tete. don't you know? You will pardon me.
7: Oh, no, John.
5: Oh. oh, come now, Ellen, you must do it.
7: Oh, but, John, that's ridiculous. Who ever heard of such a silly thing? I did, and
5: that's why I'm telling it to you.
7: Well, I won't listen to another word. I really won't. Oh,
6: yes, you will.
7: No, I won't.
6: <laughs> <laughs> if I might be so bold as to interrupt.
7: Oh,
6: oh, Peter, it's you. I'm sorry to interrupt your most interesting conversation, my dear wife, but we must go.
7: But, Peter, we... Come,
6: I said. The automobile is waiting.
7: But I... Very well, Peter. Good night, John. Good
6: night, Ellen. Come. Get into the car, Ellen.
7: Why don't you say something, Peter?
6: Yes. Yes, I will say something. This. <gasps> well, why don't you speak? Why don't you cry?
7: I wouldn't give you the satisfaction.
6: So, you save your tears for him, too. Say something.
7: I'm leaving you, Peter.
6: Leaving me? What are you talking about?
7: I spoke clearly enough. I'm leaving you. Don't be a fool. I'm trying not to be. That's why I'm leaving you. I should have done it a long time ago. You'll go to him. No, nope. I'm going to divorce you first, Peter. Divorce? I won't have any difficulty about that, I'm sure.
6: No. Never a divorce for me, never.
7: You'll have no choice. Please stop the car.
6: Yes. Goodbye. Ellen?
7: I'm sorry for you, Peter.
6: No. I'm sorry for you and him. come in, Ellen. Come in. And you too, young man.
7: What do you want of us, Peter? It
6: was very kind of you two to come here and join me tonight. You said it was important, Strensky. What is it? Oh, have a chair. Sit down. There is no hurry. Well,
7: John and I, we're on our way to the theater. If you don't mind, Peter, tell us what you want.
6: I want little. We have come to what the novelist would call the parting of the ways. As civilized human beings, we sit down. I, the husband, you, the wife, and you, young man, the shall I say, favoured one, to discuss our welfare.
7: I'm sorry it worked out this way, Peter. I
6: <laughs> This life, perhaps the fault was largely mine. I was not a very good husband. You're acting very decently about all this, Mr Strinsky. All I can say is uh, I love Ellen very much. And you love him, Ellen?
7: Yes, Peter.
6: If we could arrange matters quickly, I mean the divorce and all that sort of Of thing. Of course. I just said we are together like civilized human beings. (laughs) And now, if you will excuse me, I will close the door. The servants, you know. He's acting surprisingly well about it all, Ellen. I'm not so sure, John. Oh, now what I have to say, I say in complete privacy.
7: Peter, just why did you want John and me here?
6: Yes. We should come to the point. You and I, Ellen, I... Suppose there is no use talking about us anymore, is there? No. So, all right, there will be a gentleman. I will withdraw as gracefully as my clumsy self will permit. First, then, we will sign the papers. Papers? I want you to waive our rights. Oh, just as you wish. Excellent. So here is the legal form as drawn up by my solicitor. I assure you, it's quite an order. You will sign first, young man. Me?
5: Yes,
6: yes, as a... Witness, you understand? Oh, very well. My, my pen... No, no, no. Use this one, please. Here. Oh. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry.
7: John, what's the matter? Oh,
6: nothing. Just a scratch. The, the pen point. Oh, I'm so clumsy. John, Oh, I'm... it's nothing, really. See, the pen point hardly broke the skin. <laughs> yes, but it did break the skin.
7: Oh, yes, John. You see a drop of blood. It's
6: nothing at all. Just a scratch. Unimportant. <laughs>
7: How did you laugh like that, Peter?
6: He said unimportant, and yet it is the most important scratch your young man has ever known. How's that?
7: What do you mean, Peter? What, what's wrong?
6: You feel something, John? What? A constriction between the eyes, perhaps? Peter, or maybe a strange pounding of the heart?
7: Peter, Peter, or what perhaps, have you Or perhaps,
6: John, your vision blows. You hear strange sounds in your ears. Eh, great lover?
7: Peter, answer me. What have you done? John, are, are you all right? Tell me, are you all right?
0: I, I don't know. My head is so strange. John, I, I John what is I think i sit down.
7: Peter, what's wrong with him? What's wrong? <laughs> John, John... What do you... Your, your lips... You
6: cannot speak, can you, John? If you open your mouth, the words will be your last. A great lover... Peter,
7: tell me. Tell me, have you done something to him? Have you? John, look at me, darling. Speak to me. Tell me what's the matter.
6: Yes. John. Yes, speak, John. Eleanor, uh,
7: John! Peter, help me. He's fallen. Peter, help me. Help me. Help you? But, John, look at him. Look at him. He, he's ill uh, dying. Uh, doctor, get a doctor.
6: Not a doctor, my little wife. Doctors cannot restore even great lovers after the poison of barakata has entered the veins.
7: Hurden! That pen! That scratch! Ellen, you must...
6: <sighs> so, the thought of your lover's death draws the blood from your head and you faint, eh, my little wife? When you awaken, you will wish that you died with him. Again. My
7: arm.
6: You are bound in a chair. It is most discourteous of me, I know, but then, as you may remember, I always was a barbarian.
7: John. John.
6: You will keep your voice down.
7: John. You've got to tell me. Where is he? Why am I down here? John's not there. He can't be dead. There He's here on that table, under the sheet. Not John.
6: Yes, John.
7: John, you've killed him. Let me lose, let me go to him. Stop John.
6: It. Stop making that noise, you mad woman. Stop it. Stop it, I say. Uh, All right, I'll stop you then.
7: Uh, I'll stop
6: you. Uh, All right. Yeah, my little wife, scream, yell, rave all you want. This gag over your mouth serves its purpose well. Go on, go on, you amuse me. So, now you have discovered it is useless to talk to the gag, eh, Alan? It's such a waste of effort, is it not? So now that you are silent, I can go on with my work. Most important work. Yes, you were right about what was on this table here. See? I throw off the sheet. <laughs> and he was such a handsome man. Well, I must get to work. Ah, oh, you no longer try to speak, my little Ellen. Does the sight of these beautiful surgical instruments frighten you? They need not. They're not for you. They are for John.
7: Yeah, yes, he is dead.
6: Dead, the poison, too quickly, but do you think I would let him rest in death Oh no? I loved you, Ellen, and as I loved you, I hate you. Watch closely.
7: What?
6: Oh, I'm sorry, I cannot understand you. You ask me what I'm going to do. The knives, sharp knives, you see them? No, they are not to dismember your precious John. Flesh buried decays and is gone. I want your dear John with me for a long time.
7: <coughs>
6: again, you ask the question I'm trying so hard to explain. He's dead and he will be dead, but in his death he will serve a purpose. You remember I told you my savage Brazilian friends, the Yavaros have a quaint custom of shrinking and preserving the bodies of their enemies. Well, I studied their methods most carefully. John Douglas was my enemy. Here he lies. And I will do with him as the Yavaros do with their enemies. So, now you understand. When I'm through with him, your lover will be a little leathery-skinned man, a doll like in size, a trophy for my trophy room. Who will suspect that in that little leathery doll-like figure is the body of an Englishman? And so he will amuse me in his death. Yes. And you will sit there, my little wife. You will sit in that chair for the many days it will take me to prepare the carcass. You will sit and watch me day after day as with smoke and with heat I make the strong body of your lover smaller and smaller. You will sit there. Fire is warm, hell, warm, so very warm. The air, filled with smoke, dry swirling smoke. See how it coils around him? At first, how often you cried out when I talked like this, but now you are silent. Weeks, how many weeks has it been? Four, five, six... It used to take my savage friends ten weeks to dry and cure the bodies of their enemies. Ten weeks. And I... I have done it in five. Look at him. Six foot strong and broad he was, but now... A doll in size, a small brown doll. Oh, what? weary days they've been filling the body full of sand and slowly turning turning in the smoke and the heat not too quickly, not too slowly not too close to the flames and now the man that was John Douglas a doll a brown doll of death the flames are noisy noisy as you are silent little Ellen You are... I hadn't noticed. Your eyes are closed. Wake up. Wake up! Wake up, I say. You've got to look at him. Your eyes have got to see him. You've got to see him. You're speaking. I cannot understand you. The, The gag. Yes, yes, I will take it off. Sitting there all these weeks, you haven't got the strength. There. There, that does it. Your lips are free. Well, look at him, Helen. Look at him and tell me what you think of John Douglas now.
7: Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm Smoke. Smoke twisting and twisting round him. Smoke is taking him. Where is he gone? Helen. Where is he gone? Helen. Smoke, smoke, I'll go to him and this
2: night. He's waiting. Helen, stop. Smoke,
6: stop, you hear. Understand. You must understand.
7: Smoke, he will wait for me. Smoke, smoke,
6: smoke. What are you raving about?
7: Yes, smoke. the girls around him. No. He's waiting. No,
6: stop talking like that. Stop talking no, like that, I say. He's
5: waiting.
6: The knife, where is the knife? I'll stop you. No. Ellen, I... All right. Dead. Up on the table with you. I must prepare you, Ellen, for the smoke and the fire. Took me five weeks with him and now five more weeks with you. And then you will be as he is. Brown with the smoke of the curing fire. Little doll in size. Borneo and the Celebes are not the only savage tribes which indulged in this most curious pastime of collecting human heads as trophies. In my travels in far-off places, I have come across at least 20 other races who participate in this strange
2: custom. The... Let's get
7: out of here, Mamie. What means as dry as dust.
2: Oh, but who cares about Ed men and men in the likes of that? Let's get out of here and go to a cinema.
0: Squat.
6: Oh, all oh, right, oh, right. And They went raiding and killing their enemies, uh, generally in nocturnal surprises. These savages severed the heads of the dead and returned with them to their villages. Members of the tribe believe their rank in the next world depends upon the number of heads secured. But, unquestionably... The most curious custom is found among the yavaros of South America, who not only sever the heads of their enemies, but also are known to shrink the bodies of the dead until they are small, almost doll-like in size. These bodies are kept in the large huts and treasured highly. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I have a surprise for you. In my recent trip to South America and my visit to the yavaros at great personal risk, I was able to procure two of the macabre specimens. Yes, yes, I have here in this trunk the shrunken bodies of two full sized human beings. That is, at one time they were full sized, but now, now they are the size of large dolls. A man and a woman, ladies and gentlemen, perfectly preserved. The only specimens of their kind in existence outside of the sultry jungles of South America. Never before have they been seen or displayed upon the lecture platform, but tonight I am going to show them to you. Now you make your public debut, my two beauties. Alan and John, the new sensation of the lecture stage. Ladies and gentlemen, if you please, if you please, presenting two perfect specimens, the only ones of their kind, Of the secret process which enables the savages of the jungles of South America to reduce their enemies to doll-like size. Here we have a living man, about six foot in size during his lifetime, now reduced to midget size. And likewise, here a woman, once a living, breathing individual like you and you and you, now this horrible trophy of the curers are. You see, Ellen and John, they like you. You are a success. <laughs> a huge success.
5: You are. are talking. You. No. No, you cannot talk.
6: Dad, you cannot talk. No. You cannot talk. You're dead. You're both of you dead. You're dead.
2: Sure, Captain, it's a strange passenger we got aboard this time, I must say. Oh, you mean Stransky. Aye, strange he is, mate. But what's he running away from, Sergeant? Oh, Sure, mate, that ain't a proper question to be asking of a man when he lays as many pound notes on the table as that man did for this passage. <laughs> get me out of England tonight, he said. <laughs> and get him out of England, I did. Now, could he be one of them embezzlers? Oh, aye, that he might. Yeah, that trunk he was carrying. Well, he wouldn't let any of the men lay a hand on it. He brought it down to the cabin himself. I'd like to get a look in it. Aye, and so would I. But he stays in that cabin of his all the time. He's down there now. And I'll bet he's looking in that trunk. (laughs) The cabin
6: door is locked. No one can come in when the door is locked. It's going to stay locked until we get there. South America, they won't get me there. No one will get me there. Uh, why did I run away? What's the matter with me? No one heard them but I. No one in that audience but I. They're in that trunk there. The two of them. Why don't I find out now if no one heard them but I? Why don't I? For sure. Yes, I must. No, they couldn't have talked, not they. The two of you lying there. You didn't talk, did you? No. No, of course you didn't. You're dead. You're more than dead. Hollow flesh shrunk by the smoke of heat until you're smoky little dolls. Alan and John, I'm free of you forever. Forever. You. Alan. Thing that was Alan. Why don't you say something? (gasps) Again. I heard you again. The two of you, I heard you. No. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it, you little things. You can't speak. You're dead, burned in the flames. Stop it. All right, I'll stop you. I'll stop you. Into the sea. I'll throw you into the sea. Come, you and you. I've got you in my hands. I'll throw you into the sea. First you, Evan, Into the water. There. And now you, John, into the sea. And see will stop that tongue of yours. <sighs> yeah. Now, I'm through with you. Through with you. The water will stop your mouth. It stopped it. I'm free of you forever. The two of you forever. Been... Huh? What's the matter? What's the matter? The matter? Oh, of... what do you mean, Captain? Nothing is the matter. Oh,
2: I thought I saw you throw something in the water. In
6: fact, I'm sure of it. Oh, the... Just some old things. Yes, that's it. Some old things I didn't want.
2: Oh, oh, I see. Well, as long as everything's all right.
6: Yes, yes, yes. Everything's all right. Now. Now.
2: It is a weird night, isn't
6: it? Weird? Why do you say that, man?
2: Yeah, that's so dark. No moon, not a star in the sky. It's like we were sailing in the black of a tomb without even candlelight to lead us. You know, if I was a superstitious... What in the devil's name is that? What? What are you talking about? There. to the starboard, see? Two lights. Uh, <gasps> take it, what lights are those?
6: They're coming closer.
2: Starship lights? No, oh, that can't be. Why have sailed these waters it's for 15 they. years? It's they. What? The two of them, their faces.
6: See them gleaming faces. Alan, John, get back. Back to the water I threw you in.
2: Hensky, what's back, come over you? Back, Stop leaning over the rain. You'll and fall and in. You'll fall in, man.
5: Ah!
7: Help! I fell in. Help me.
6: Here. I'm here. Save me. Save me. Stay Yes, I'll stay afloat. They'll save me. I won't die, I won't. They'll save me.
7: No, Peter. Uh-huh.
6: Take his other arm, Evan. I Have his leg. No. Let go of me. Let go. Tom Strinsky. No. Stop. Ellen, John, the two of you, stop. You're pulling me under. Drowning
7: me. Drawing me. No. Well,
5: no. Obler. Well, Mr. Martin, what are you looking for tonight? Rationalization? Morals? For, of course, the moral of tonight's story is a healthy and a hopeful one. that evil is its own undoing. That reminds me, Frank, outside of Hitler, Hirohito and Company, have you a nomination for the evilest man of the year? Well, leaving Hitler and his fang-toothed friend out of it sort of restricts me, doesn't it? (laughs) No, because... Anyone who thinks that evil is impersonated only by the militarist is quite naive. And now, what about this Mr. Evil of 1943? Well, I'd like to tell you about the evil now. I feel like it, but I'm going to tell about him in a play called Murder Castle. Yes, Mr. Evil of 1943. It takes place as usual at a time called next week. Yes? Tune in next Tuesday again for Arch Obler's eerie story, Murder Castle.
1: Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sherlock Holmes, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Bind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly
0: produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.